You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to Drinks with Tony. Today my guest is Thea Wershing. She is the creator of the American Renaissance Tarot. It's a tarot deck and book. And we discuss the occult. Are Ouija boards dangerous? I get all negative Nancy for a minute, and we take a deep breath. We discuss how uh, Thea became a born-again Christian when she was 14 years old. We discuss astrology. We discuss spirit guides. We discuss the secret of time travel. Yes, you can time travel. Hey there, this is Thea Wershing, and you are listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Thea Wershing. She has a new book and tarot deck out, and it's called The American Renaissance Tarot, also illustrated by Celeste Pile. Did I say that right? It's actually Pilly. Pilly? Oh, my, I like mine better. Don't tell her, though. I know. I try to Frenchify her name, too. but <laughs> <laughs> the, um, So you studied the occult, right? Is that correct? And now the word occult. So here's here's what happened to me because I grew up in a weird religion and like even walking in a bookstore and there was a section for occult. I I had to like walk ten feet around it, like I was gonna be like like the demons were gonna possess me and come home with me. So, (laughs) um, so now that I'm a little bit clear headed, not much more. What would you how would you define a a occult? Man, that is just a giant question. It, oh, is that, is that giant? <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I'm glad because it feels giant to me. And I thought maybe it's not so giant. And then if it's giant, then then fine. Then I feel okay. So yeah, it's, it's so funny because I kind of straddle these two worlds, the literary and the occult. Mm-hmm. And so this project's really a blend. So I would say it's almost like a cult light as far as what's actually out there. But I wanted it to be this kind of crossover thing where people could Uh, get a little friendly with the occult if they didn't know anything about it and they had some of the associations that you have about it so um gosh yeah how do you it's too big i i i i i I, I, I threw you thor's hammer when we should just be like relaxing and enjoying (laughs) ourselves the um what i i like the idea of of being a friend of the occult because i don't mind going for a beer with the occult but i don't want to be in a relationship yet right you know i need time you have to feel it out. So I, I could say that uh, when I was working on my dissertation at UCLA, uh, it was called Occult Americans. And then I kind of went through that definition and unpacked it. So I think most people think satanic panic. You know, yes, like, right, right. You know, um, evil rituals, hurting children or stuff like that. Um, and that's just like the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest little bit of it. And essentially there's, there's all these coherent traditions, like the tradition of hermeticism, which goes back to the ancient world. So we would talk about, you know, third century uh, Neoplatonism and hermeticism and how that coalesced. And then there's traditions around uh, ritual magic. I did a lot of work with secret societies. Oh, you did? Yeah, and Rosicrucianism. Whoa, 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 whoa. So (laughs) so uh, were you doing this while you were uh, at UCLA or is this after or? Yeah, it's around everything you're you're like you know what i'm a freemason now and you walk in the door right i mean you (laughs) literally have to just go to a a masonic temple right oh it was so fun so i actually studied at the library at the masonic temple in philadelphia which is huge and gorgeous and anyone who travels to philadelphia you got to go do the ten dollar tour it probably costs more now but i mean they just have these gorgeous halls and they they all have a different theme but they were very suspicious of me as a woman coming in there wanting to penetrate those mysteries. And I got hazed by the security there. <laughs> just, it was so funny. And then I was probing in these particular stories and a librarian with loose lips started giving me all this intel about the archive. And he could just tell I was paying way too much attention. And so as soon as I started asking follow-up questions, he's like, he just totally clammed up. So yeah, I had so wow. much. Wow. So, so <laughs> I'm, I'm so... Uh, I'm not are Freemasons you can't have women in the Freemasons um well there are some groups called co-masonry where we they now allow women but right for centuries oh okay okay wow interesting 
and and, and it's still to this day it's like ah, i know she's not a freemason and she's asking a little too much exactly exactly yeah um so gosh i was gonna say something else about the occult just just pummel me with questions it's fine <laughs> <laughs> no it's just it's have you I, mean, I don't know how you grew up but were you ever has like diving into the study of the occult has it ever kind of scared you and went wait a second that's a little too far for me yeah i i get the fear around it so my background okay my grandfather was a presbyterian minister but i was oh never that's kind of that's kind of big because my grip yeah. my my dad was like a jehovah's witness elder so it's that's heavy it's heavy on the kids well, so what's funny though, I was never allowed to meet him because apparently he was very abusive. And so my dad's childhood was like, his dad was always getting up a new congregation somewhere and then they'd run off with the money <laughs> kind of thing. And so oh, and, was, and the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So he was kind of like a, a swindler. Wow. So I get to meet him. And so then with my dad like hated religion. And so my big rebellion uh, when I was 14 was to become a born again, Christian. <laughs> yes. <I love> it. <laughs> and I was hanging exactly. out with this, uh, this kind of fundamentalist youth pastor, you know, was helping me. I was having all these spiritual problems and my dad met him at the car one time. Cause he was driving me home. My dad met him at the car with a baseball bat. So that's kind of like my dad's <laughs> feelings about religion. Wow. You know, so I was, I was not allowed to go to that youth group anymore. And then um, friends from that church were like passing me Bible verses uh-huh. in the bathroom at school, you know? So um, yeah. And then uh, I, I was so depressed. I made a suicide attempt when I was in high school. Uh-huh. And then when I woke up, I just had the thought like, well, this is stupid. You can't put God in a box, right? I had all these religious problems. And I, I just thought God is much bigger than what the Christians have said he is. Right. So, yeah, I, I started on this exploration and I, um, I guess I just came to the occult bit by bit, you know, and it, it really started with astrology. So I got into astrology as a teenager just to kind of cope with my emotional problems. And it was really helpful, you know, just trying to figure out myself and I'd have all these problems with other people and I was very self-righteous. And then with astrology, I just learned to be more uh, forgiving and understanding and it's been a great teacher for me. So that, you know, I, and that is what I found. Like I did an article, I had a tarot reading about 15 years ago for mm-hmm. a publication. And it was the first time I ever went near a tarot deck. Like tarot decks are just like, hello, Satan, come and invade my life <laughs> up until that moment. And I was still, I was practically having panic attacks as I was sitting there also like recording it and trying to take notes. Cause it was for an article, but as I grew, as I've grown to learn about that and then even astrology, it's, it's kind of helpful emotionally because it's putting the story together in, in a certain way. And even during COVID, I was, the, my emotions were not the best. I was having a very hard time in lockdown and I took a numerology course and it was like the four weeks of just really diving into numerology. And it kind of, um, filled a little bit of my soul for a bit because then I was just like, oh, wait, okay, oh, I, let's see. I wonder why my marriage didn't work. And then I would put my uh, ex wife's numerology chart and I'm like, of course, this would never work because, you know, she's got too much seven in her. I'm all six, you know. And, um, but it, it, it had a way to tell the story to kind of bring the emotions together, I guess, is what I'm saying it did for me. Oh, it's a great tool. So I can't really speak to that level of numerology. I use it, but, but kind of not to that extent, but with tarot, what I love about it is that you're laid, laying down these images and you can kind of see yourself into a future that maybe you haven't admitted that you wanted. Right. So you could admit that, okay, I actually do want success or I want romantic fulfillment or something like that. So I, I think that's very powerful when we tell ourselves stories and then we we can write that story for ourselves. Essentially, that's what I think is so magical about literature. Yeah, and I, it, and I like that you bring up literature because I was just I was one of my students just got in touch with me and she's like, I have zero I have zero um, new pages this week. I'm totally stuck. And I'm like, and I was just like, remember we talked about the channeling. We talked about the esoteric of. Um, of writing I mean I was just on my iPhone like <laughs> but but it's just we have we, we know our characters we get to know our characters we set up a situation we set up the world 
And then when you're like kind of in the middle, you feel a little blocked and it's just like, you, you just got to show up and just say hi and just go ahead and be bored. And beauty comes out of it. There's, I, I feel like there's magic when we're writing stories. There's just magic all over it. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a section in my book that comes with the deck. I think it's called reading, writing and magic. And I'll shout out uh, Jeff Crypaw for people who don't know him. He, Jeff Crypaw. Uh, Crypaw. So it's Crypaw, not C-K-R-I-P-A-L. <laughs> um, but he's at Rice University and he heads up an alternative religious program there. And he's got a book called Authors of the Impossible. Oh, and that he sounds dives, fun. It's so cool. He dives into how writing is an occult act. Um, and we think about it. So something I picked up from him, reading is an occult act too. Because he, he just tries to explain what happens when we're reading, right? And we can feel so identified with someone's voice, even if they've been dead for a hundred years and they might have some huge impact on us, you know? So he kind of talks about what's happening, that mind fusing with mind when you're reading yeah. and all kinds of funky stuff can happen through that. So I think there's more to it than we often think about. And, and that's the reason that I, that's the reason I feel like when I read novelist for the first, I, I didn't really read novels until I was in my twenties. And yeah. when I, when I read the first one that kind of touched me, that wasn't assigned to me in school that I just didn't get. And I was, you know, cause I was just reading Bible literature right. published by our organization three times a week to get ready to study it the next night. So it was actually seven times a week. Yeah. And um, when I read a novel and I felt like I was having, someone was having a conversation with me, but they were dead but they felt the same feelings. I, I just, I connected. That's that connection is just that, that is like time travel and communing with the dead and everything all at once. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Totally. So yeah, I mean, I've written this project that I'm kind of communing with, uh, you know, 36 dead writers sort of bringing them to life. But I think that's how they affected me because I wasn't very connected to my own family or lineage. I didn't feel, um, just any kind of tradition coming from my own family. So I feel like these are all my adopted ancestors, these writers, and they kind of kept me alive because yes. reading was totally my coping mechanism as a kid, you know, like how do I survive this life? And midway through grad school, I was like, shit, I, I tried to uh, turn my coping me- mechanism into a career. <laughs> like maybe that wasn't the best way to go about it, but you know, that's how strong why, why is not the, why is that? I think that is the best way to go about it. Why, why wouldn't it be? Oh, I hear you. I think just because I didn't have any practical ideas of, of how to be a professor and play the political game. Right. And, and so I was to do that. <laughs> I was just thinking, wow, I could hide out in this ivory tower for a decade and read books. Sounds great. Like I wasn't really thinking practically to the business end of it. Right. Like how I would make myself a commodity in the profession. So um, yeah, but I, I wanted to go back to your comment about tarot cards being satanic. It's just so interesting to hear that because I think a lot of what I got into studying the occult was uh, because I'm a historian, I love to go back and just see the roots of things. And tarot did not start out as an occult thing at all. It started in the 15th century as just, um, uh, it was a card game essentially, and it still actually exists. And it wasn't until a couple centuries later that we had occultists like uh, Levi just add all this occult stuff into the tarot. So it's essentially like a parlor game for centuries. And then it turns into a more divinatory thing. So, um, and there's a lot of Christianity in the tarot too. Uh-huh. It came out of a Christian culture. Right? It comes out of uh, Renaissance Italy. So there's some Neoplatonism, Hermetic ideas there because it was the Renaissance, right? We have some of these old occult ideas showing up but there's nothing scary about the origin of tarot so i guess for that reason it it hasn't spooked me um but it can be scarily accurate that's what is creepy about the occult is that it can really make things happen that aren't supposed to happen so yeah and 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 also i think with tarot it's more about giving a nudge it's not like it's sitting there going and this is the future and these are the winning lottery tickets it's like uh, oh, we thought we only had this one road in front of us, but there's 12 and that one's scary. But this card is kind of open me, opening me up to go, you know what? The uncomfortable one is what I need to do. Yeah. Does, that, does that make sense? Because I'm a nouveau the tarot, as they say, in a very poor 
uh, literate <laughs> part of France. <laughs> totally, yeah. So uh, I think it just depends who's using it because I use it psychologically. I think it's about making the unconscious conscious. I think it helps people process their feelings. That's how I use it. Other people are more, you know, TCB, like <laughs> taking care of business. They just want to know like what's coming next and they want right. to use it predictively. So I think it changes depending on who I'm reading for. Some people oh, don't do the, the psychological reflection. Yeah, They just want some information. Like, is this a good deal or not kind of thing. So, and, and I mean, just to go back when you said books kept you alive, I, I went to the library to figure out how to not kill myself. That's where I was at in my life, in my uh, yeah. around 22 years old, because my friend had killed himself and I was still in the Jehovah's Witnesses and they were just like, oh no, he killed himself after he was disfellowshipped, shunned. Um, right. So he was already dead to us and I was just, and no one was helping me. So instead of going to the Kingdom Hall three times a week, I started to go to the library and go, how do I not kill myself? Essentially, it went right to the psychology section. And then it just started yeah. veering to other places. And it was it was one of the most important moments of my life of such pain and sorrow and grief mm. and everything coming together. But it was import so important that I connected with novelist. It was everything. It was just like it blew my mind open. And I just I, I find I find the, the novel holy holier than christianity don't tell yeah. the christians this I won't. <laughs> it, it, they're lifelines i absolutely agree and uh, i tell this story in the intro to my book um, about reading the witch of blackbird pond when i was about eight years old and so here's you know i'm a kid and here's this little book and i just remember sobbing like i got these gut-wrenching sobs and i'm a little kid and i'm like well how do i have this big range of emotion as a child, you know, and I'm like, this is weird. This is like a little tiny paperback, you know, and yet it has this profound emotional effect on me. And that to me was like time travel because it takes place in the Puritan era. So I, I think this is when I started to get fascinated uh, with witches. And so it was just kind of taking me to a whole other era where people had a very different set of challenges in life. And it just kind of helped me realize like I was not stuck in this time, like this temporal world that I'm in right now in terms of what people believe is not the only world there is. There's kind of like infinite other worlds. So that was really helpful for me coping. And then I found out later that my ancestors have actually been here, you know, close to 400 years and they were all religious nuts. I mean, they were just like on my dad's side, at least, right? Like uh -huh. they were the hardcore fundamentalists. They stayed Calvinist after everyone else became, you know, more liberal. <laughs> like they oh, were yeah. so um you're kind of holding on to the most uh limiting tenets of the puritan so your jesus is wrong i got my jesus over here yeah so <laughs> i think there was something that i was doing just again not being aware of it but i was connecting to my ancestry you know studying this period and and finding these novels about it yeah yeah well we, we so are connected to our ancestry as well i mean it's it's like we have their dna it's crazy mm -hmm. And I've, you know, I've, I, you know, my great grandparents, my grandparents are dead and I met them and I knew them. And I'm just like, I still don't know how I came from them. And then at the same time, I'm like, oh my God, they were so frustrated because they were in this little box. And so they acted out and they couldn't be introspective on, you know, what, what their purpose was in, in like what, what their joy and purpose was in life, you know? Mm -hmm. So they went to a bar and they talked about everyone else's being awful. So, and then they found out their grandson was a writer and they're like, dear Lord, no, burn him. I would be so curious if you found some point of commonality, because it seems like the grandparent to the child that they have a lot more in common oftentimes. Um, and so what I found out later was that my grandmother and my mom's side actually studied astrology and Kabbalah. And so I have all these oh, notes, wow. you know, of, of her doing that it was fascinating. And then on my dad's side, like I said, I was never allowed to meet my grandpa. And um, I have like an obsession with perfume. It's just like a huge part of me. I got like a whole case of essential oils over there and I'm just obsessed with perfume culture. So I was told that my grandpa was this kind of really uncouth, rough character, you know, kind of a swindler. And they were so poor. And I see pictures of my dad as a kid. He looks very malnourished. You know, it's just like not a happy situation. But later in life, my dad told me 
that my grandfather would occasionally splurge on a bottle of perfume or a cologne and then just like kind of waft it in the air and talk about the development of all the notes you know oh wow <laughs> yeah like, it was so wild I, I never would have believed it and then um my grandfather worked in a steel mill and was a hard drinker and the way he got his call to the lord is that he had been uh on a real bender right so he's drinking all night he woke up in the morning the sun was uh streaming through his window and he caught the scent of orange blossoms which is just such a gorgeous heady scent and that was his connection to jesus that's how he felt the spirit and to me, you know, perfume has this kind of near religious quality too. Like, and that's an ancient Egyptian thing that sent gets you to the divine. So I was just so floored by that. I would not have thought I had anything in common with this person. So, so bizarre to see that common thread, you know, and then yeah. uh, my dad, my dad also <clears throat> told me he was an integrationist. And I was like, what? <laughs> I, was, I was stunned because he was born in Georgia, you know, and, and my dad had more like racist tendencies himself. Oh. Um, <clears throat> But he was actually reacting against his embarrassing liberal preacher father, you know, and I, well, I just was so stunned to hear that. too. I would have thought, oh, you know, these people just they're white trash. I mean, that's kind of how I thought of my family. So I was just stunned to to learn those details. And how did you learn those details? Was that just over the years with your parents? But you said your grandma had some writings. Is that? Oh, or, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, I just have her journals is what I'm saying. And yeah, she, you have her journals. Oh, yeah. my God. That's yeah, so I have, cool. I have, notes about her occult education which is pretty wild but wow um, yeah I'm, I'm not in touch with my dad anymore and that's been a good thing but we had a kind of brief conversation and he gave me this whole ancestral download which was wild I mean just to hear how much I had in common with my grandfather so wow. yeah it's so interesting because it's it's it, it just as kids it's just like the the way we the way we rebel against our parent rebel but we're just all we're doing is trying to find ourselves. It's and they yeah. and they put way too heavy. You know, when your dad comes out with a baseball bat because you're born again or whatever, it's like yeah. you're just trying to find your identity that's separate from him. It has not, you know, it actually has nothing to do with Jesus. It just, it's just how do I identify um, outside of you know? I'm I'm becoming independent. I'm an adult. You know, you, we think. Yeah, it, it was so triggering for him. So I guess he was horse whipped because his back was just like this mass of scars, right? So no way. Yeah, so just for him, it was like uh, almost like living with a Vietnam vet, except okay. like this PTSD was just, he would totally dissociate. And um, I remember like one time I was a little kid and we were all sitting around the table having breakfast and it was a really quiet morning. We didn't have a lot of those. So the quiet morning was kind of the exception. And my dad just went into a spontaneous rage and like flipped up this kitchen table. There was, there was no trigger. I think the trigger was just that it was a peaceful family setting and it was, yeah, he couldn't handle that. So he like grabbed my brother and ran down to the park. And so, I mean, that's just sort of what I grew up with was he had all this untreated PTSD that he was dealing with. Yeah. So it was, it was scary. You know, it was not a fun house to grow up in. No, it's, it's, it's interesting that we do, we, we, the, it's, I, I have therapy after this too. And it's just like, so after, after this glorious conversation, I go right back into my trauma. No, she's uh she actually does hypnotherapy on me too. Hypnosis, which oh. is just like that. I would have never let anyone do that to me. But the one thing I haven't been able to do, and I was just talking about this with my friend the other day was uh I still can't touch a Ouija board. Oh yeah. That is. So I'm just going to shout out uh, the guy who wrote the intro to uh, my book, Mitch Horowitz. So he has a whole career kind of flowing out of occult America. That's his book on the topic. Yeah. But I've, I've just heard him do some very funny podcasts. And I think he's got an article about this as well. Just like how weird the Ouija board is that it's a Parker Brothers thing. Yeah. Like, was this on the shelf with like the game of life and checkers and like, oh, yeah, and you can talk to the dead. No biggie. <laughs> Yeah. I don't, I don't know why I still fear it. I think I, and, and, may, and I don't know, maybe you can tell me because you may have studied it more. Um, you, you have more of a grounding of what it is. But. Oh, the, the Ouija board is straight creepy. That's a, um, that's oh, it a is. That's a recipe for trouble. So I did it when I was 14. I think this okay. is a popular thing for young women to experiment with. And, uh, you know, it's that 
that's that age, right? It's like uh, in the Salem witch trials, we have all those girls experimenting with witchcraft. And yeah. then in the mid 19th century, we have the spiritualists who are experimenting with talking to the dead. So that's a big theme of my project. And uh, now we have witch talk, but that's another story. Um, so anyway, I, I made a lot of scary shit happen with my pal when we were using the Ouija board. And the reason I think it's creepy is that you don't know what you're getting. And um, that's, that's my cat attacking my printer. I'm sorry. I don't know if you can hear that. <laughs> your cat's fixing your printer from its point, <laughs> from, your, your, from your cat's point of view. It's just like, I need to work on this. She doesn't know what she's doing with this printer. It's, it's not spirit wraps. It's just my cat <laughs> here um, attacking the desk. So, uh, right. I, I think that uh, if I'm going to try and contact someone, like let's say a deceased family member or something, it's going to be very targeted. It's like, I know who I'm getting and you kind of look for verification, but the Ouija board, you're kind of inventing any malevolent thing that might be out there. So I, in other words, I think you need to know what you're doing. I think if you're looking to talk to a God or a spirit, you want to contain it a lot more than what the Ouija board does. So that makes sense. So I, so essentially then my fear might be a little healthy because I don't have the education to, to use it um, where someone who would know how to use it and direct it, I guess, to, or, 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 or even if someone knows how to use it, is it still kind of a, a crapshoot where you're just like, Oh, hi, Lucifer. I was trying to find dad. <laughs> what do you want well, me to do? See, the thing is, so uh, I'll, I'll talk about another guy who's in my project, Pascal Beverly Randolph. So he's been a big uh, research interest of mine. He was an African-American occultist, spiritualist, Rosicrucian. And he was the one to pioneer the idea that, well, when you're kind of opening yourself up this way, um, the way that the spiritualist did, there could be a demon who's imitating your dad, you know, or be a malevolent entity who's imitating great aunt Gladys, but they're really, they're just having a laugh with you and kind of messing with you for fun. Right. So, yeah. And so that, I mean, this just gets into more nuanced stuff, but I think you shouldn't go into any work like that without protection. And so I'm actually uh, co-leading a class right now with a guy who's a spirit medium. And his whole thing is you, you call in all your helpers. It could be Archangel Michael, you know, your beloved grandmother that, you know, is there with you. Like, any um, invisible entities that are going to help direct and control and protect you. So you're not just going in there like it's open season for any nasty thing that might be flying around. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, is yeah. this, is this a class that you teach online or is this something you can get invite only to how does how do your classes work? Yeah, I'm teaching it online. Um, so this one is wrapping. I'm not sure if we're going to do it again, but I am teaching a class on tarot novels in a couple of weeks and I'm so excited. So I'm doing that at Morbid Anatomy and I'm just really geeking out about this because this novel I keep going back to and over and over, it's called Last Call by Tim Powers. Do you know Tim Powers at all? He's a fantasy writer. No, I don't, but I don't know a lot of things. So it's, you know, oh, yeah, it happens. <laughs> you're a writer you know maybe you're into this but um i think he's actually catholic which is interesting but he writes great tarot novel called last call Uh and it's kind of like this whole meditation on how divination works huh you know and what's really happening there and how you're kind of gambling with the universe so the whole thing is set in vegas which i love sounds great i just wrote it down (laughs) i'm reading that too okay oh it's so good yeah so um, I just wind up reading this novel every couple years because uh, the main character in the novel, he engages with the tar- with these, it's almost like a demonic tarot deck and it kind of gets in his head and he'll have these weird visions where he's in the land of pure archetypes and it seems horrifying to be in this land of pure archetypes. And then uh, he and his pal are always just trying to like tip the scale a little bit in their favor. So they're trying to appeal to the goddess Fortuna and just get a little bit more luck or a little bit more fortune. Uh, it's a blast. That sounds fun. So yeah, the, um, with, with all of this, I, this is a, so I still, I don't have answers to anything. I'm still trying to figure it all out. You know, I, I, I grew up with answers to everything and knocking on people's doors going, would you like to be with me in paradise or you'll be dieting at Armageddon, you know, and don't touch your wee wee. Um, and don't let anyone else touch your wee-wee until you have a contract and then the wee-wee touching can commence. <laughs> um, so 
I, I still, I'm in a, and it's funny, I'm working on a book right now that's about my definition of the afterlife, which is really mm-hmm. silly and it's like slapstick humor, but I don't know what the afterlife is. Like, do you, do you have a, do you have a, for dummies 101 for Tony that kind of brings in, because I think, I feel like it's something we almost can't explain. Yeah. Am I right? Am I, am I there on that where it's just like, why should we be able to explain it or? Yeah, I, 100%. I, I think mystics should be humble. And I think uh, the more I learn about this, the less I know, right? There's so much that is mysterious and should remain mysterious. And I think that the wisest people will say that. Yeah. The con artists and the people who aren't as intelligent are the ones who are going to tell you like, oh, no, I know exactly everything that's going to happen after you die. I've got it all worked out. Uh, so uh, for my astrology career, I trained with Stephen Forrest. And I think he really maintains that healthy regard for mystery. Uh, mm-hmm. But in that tradition, so kind of putting my astrologer hat on, we believe in reincarnation. Mm-hmm. And so um, there's a book called Journey of Souls, which interestingly is by a hypnotist. So I don't know if you've seen that. Writing but, it down. You're giving me a ton of work. Journey oh, of yeah, Souls. <laughs> I'm blanking out on his uh, name, but he's he's total bestseller here, Journey of Souls. And so what he did was he hypnotized people to the time in between lives. So not what was your past life, but like, what are you doing right. in between incarnations? What's that happening? is one of the greatest. Yes. I want that answer. I love that. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's so cool. And so I would say like my belief system aligns most with his discoveries. It was kind of like, I came to all those conclusions by myself and through working with Stephen Forrest. And then when I read journey of souls, I was like, yeah, like we essentially go to class between lifetimes And we do a review, like, how did you do last lifetime? You know, did you overcome that obstacle that you've been working on? And well, what do you want to work on in the future? What do you want the next lifetime to be about? And um, you're with your soul pod. So you don't just have one soulmate. You have five to 10. And it's kind of like you're saying, hey, you know what? In the next lifetime, I'm going to be wearing a red scarf at the cafe in Paris or something. And that's how you'll know me. And I've had so many moments like that where I met my soulmate and that, you know, so I've had a few, mm-hmm. but it's been like that. You just see them and you're like, you, you, we're supposed to do something together. We're supposed to have a connection. You're supposed to get me from A to B and then maybe mm-hmm. it doesn't last forever. And, and it could be a best friend. It doesn't have to be a lover, but I've, I've just had that experience so many times. And um, because I'm a practicing astrologer, that's what I look at most of all in the chart is like, well, what are you supposed to be doing this lifetime? What garbage do you need to leave behind in the past? And what new thing are you supposed to learn? So it's all educational. And I think maybe eventually if you do the whole curriculum, you get through all 12 signs, you master all those archetypes, then maybe you get to ascend and, and be a teacher or something for people in the, the in-between world. But that's about the size of it for me. And, and uh, there's actually a movie like this uh, animated movie called Soul. And it's really? so much, yeah, I, I want to say it's Disney, but it's bizarre, right? It's like, like Disney's like being cool with this. Yeah, isn't that weird? And yeah. uh, it actually kind of speaks to a lot of these things. And in the movie, the the person who died, he's really concerned about his life purpose. And he's like, well, my life purpose is I have to be a musician, right? Like that's when I'm here to enact. And then he figures out by the end, it, it's usually not that, right? It's like he he has this reflection at the end of his life um, that he's a teacher. So it's about all the times he connected with people and helped them and was generous. And so I think that's usually more true that, you know, some of us get to really just care about being an artist or a writer this time around, but it's more often we have some you know, emotional, uh, spiritual work to do. So, oh, yeah. I got a ton of that. Yeah. I'm like, you're, you're making me interested in taking many astrology workshops right now because I don't know that much about it, but it sounds fascinating. Now, if someone doesn't have a, um, if someone's not so connected to astrology or uh, esotericism, mm-hmm. could they still find their soulmate? Cause they just have a feeling and that energy is there. Not, not just romantic, but also people who help you in life is do are they still open to that can it happen totally yeah so um i'll tell you another thing about me i was in a cult and so i'm very sensitive about taking people's power away and i think a lot of um astrological or new age practitioners they can get into saying i know more about you than you know about yourself which i think is bullshit because uh usually 
people have a sense of who they are and where they're supposed to be going. Okay. So it, it's very common that when I'm reading for someone, I'm like, well, your chart says this and that. And do you have a novel in you? Or is there something you, and they're like, oh my God, I haven't told anyone. I would never admit that. So it's usually that people um, have a sense of things themselves, but they don't trust their intuition. And so then I can be helpful saying like, yeah, you got to listen to that inner voice. It's, it's trying to get your attention. So of course, I, I think that astrology works, whether you believe in it or not. And so it should just be kind of supporting you in, in things that feel good. So of course, yeah, you can intuitively pick out your soulmate as long yeah. as that person's making you feel good. But then the other thing is soulmates are here to challenge you and provoke you and change you. So and this is the funny thing to me as an astrologer, because everyone wants to meet their soulmate. And then I kind of cackle privately, like, are you sure? <laughs> because it's, it's not easy to, to have that mirror held up to you in the partnership, you know? But it's probably, and I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm not in a relationship right now, but I do try to look for very, you know, I was married for many years and I, you know, and that was, had its own unhealthiness, but that was also a Jehovah's witness marriage. But, um, you know, it's, it's not easy, but it's worth it. It's like, so worth it. You know, when you, when you find that person and then it's just like, then you have to fight those challenges together. And then it's just like, as long as you kind of have each other's backs, that's kind of the, the, the way from what, from what I gather, I fail at relationships often. So. They're, they're hard. Uh, you know, I, it, it's so much work. I, I just, marriage is so much work. So I just had my 11 year wedding anniversary, but I was telling yeah. a friend the story of my marriage and our relationship a while back. And she said, it, it sounds like a telenovela. And I was like, I know it is is very soap operatic like that yeah, and yeah. I, I think that makes a good marriage you don't want to just get with someone and then die inside because you're trying to stay the same person and not rock the boat or something so the, and yeah there and you know one, a good friend of mine it was his 33rd um wedding anniversary and um I'm more I know him more than his wife but I was just like dude good for you man good for you and he was looking at me he's like it's been hard and I'm like you know what even better for you. I was just like, that's, that is what you should be saying on your 33rd anniversary. You should, if you're saying we've just been farting unicorns and there's like rainbows everywhere. And it's just like, Oh my God, you're not in touch with anything in life. But when someone's just like, it's been 33 years and it's been, Whoa, but I still love her. Then I'm just going, and that's it. That's it right there. That's yeah. It. Or it's, maybe, I, maybe it's not it. <laughs> oh, I think it is. You, you just have to keep showing up. So yeah, if someone um, is not doing the work, then it's probably not going to be a great marriage. So someone who's saying it's hard, you know, they showed up and like had those fights and those negotiations and yeah. changed and made room and, and did all that stuff. Yeah. So it kicks our ego a little bit and our ego is so feisty. It is. It is. It's. I. I loved being on my own. So um, I was lived in LA. I lived up on Franklin, and I had a one bedroom apartment. And it just those were just the top times in my life. I loved uh, being single and dating and just having a blast. So I had all that, that time to be unencumbered. So I think that oh, helped yeah. kind of knowing what was out there and knowing what I'm missing. You know, and also not missing. I had, I see, I had that. I was a, I was a virgin until I got married, and then when I found out I was getting divorced, I was thirty-eight. So then I finally like, and then I finally got to taste it in my thirties and early forties, and then I went, oh, okay, well, there's more fun to relationships than there is to um just you know, bopping yeah, it's around. Yeah, like now that now that I got that out of my system, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. That's about how old my husband was. So he left a marriage that he was in since he was 20. And then it was just like a kid in a candy store <laughs> for him. And we were both these very irresponsible types that kind of had a reputation. And then we met each other. And then like on one of our first dates, we got all dolled up to go to the club. And we decided to stay home and make a casserole. <laughs> <laughs> instead so oh now, that actually sounds so much more fun than going to a club do you remember what the club was <laughs> oh yeah so when i met him he was big in the goth scene and he had a goth band and so i do I we know what do i know the goth band would i know it oh i don't think so they were called among the weeds they were very uh -huh. short-lived la band they're playing the roxy and uh I mean, it's just funny how that works so that's an astrology thing too just the way that your chart can work with someone or not work. Right. So, I mean, I'm, 
I, I guiltily admit that I'm devouring the, you know, Johnny Depp, Amber Heard thing. But to me, I'm just like, these two charts are like napalm to each other. Like, this is just a bad match. They obviously had a terrible effect on each other. But then when I met my husband, I mean, like I said, we were both kind of drifting in the wind. Our composite charts together are in the sign of cancer. So it's like all of a sudden we're these sort of free spirits, but the way the alchemy of the charts come together, it's like, oh, we want to stay at home and make a casserole and have a home together and have pets and, you know, and a kid now. So that I'm my son signs cancer too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was paying attention because I listened to uh, your talk with Kim Krizan and, and I picked up that you're a cancer. So yeah. Oh, did we talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. She was talking about astrology a little bit. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I don't listen to these interviews like after because I don't want to. Like, if I listen too much, then I'll never do it again. Yeah. <laughs> do you ever have that? You know. Oh yeah, so it's it's weird because like a big part of my job is doing monologues, and so um, people pay me to read their chart, and if I'm doing the natal chart, it's two hours, or I just do a two-hour monologue about them, and I tell stories. You know, I got a lot of Leo in me, and so the way I get things across, a lot of times I'll tell a story about myself. So I have this paranoia about getting really famous and there's just like all these monologues that I've done out there in the world and, and probably I've revealed so many personal things because I feel like I'm just talking to that one person when I do the recording. Yeah. I realized that, you know, if anyone wanted to mess with me, they could kind of reveal some of these things I've, I've put privately in these readings for folks. So anyway, yeah. but yeah, I, I usually don't listen to them. Um, but, but then when I do, I'm, I'm happy. Sometimes I feel paranoid. Like, I don't know if I put this the right way to someone and I go back in the sun and I usually feel pretty good about it. So. Oh, that's good. Yeah. It, it's funny. Like even we'll bring, like, I remember Johnny Depp saying, I've never seen any of my movies, you know? And I'm just like, how could you, well, I would be, I, I, it would be 24 seven in my, if I was Johnny Depp, it would just be on the, you know, and, and then I did get a movie out that I wrote that was very personal to me. And the last time I saw it was at a film festival and I have not seen it all the way through since. And it's just like, and it's just because I realized it's the process, not the outcome. And it, it, it like kind of hit me because in the end it's like, is that all there? There is all I have is a movie out. It's, you know, that, that makes, that's, it's like nonsensical. And then it's just like, Oh no, wait, it's not all there is. What's important is the work. It's not the, for me is the outcome has to just be kind of like, I have to push it aside a little bit and not look at it because I'm on the next thing. Oh, I totally know what you mean. So I, I work a lot with people who are struggling with self-esteem, which we all are. We oh, all- we should have switched. We, we should have front loaded with that. Cause my self-esteem is very low. We, we, oh my God. I could have got free self-esteem for the last 30 minutes. What? Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we all think there's going to be this thing that happens that gives us that feeling of worthiness. Right. So for yeah. me, it was, you know, I'm going to get the PhD and then I'll feel smart. Cause I never felt smart as a kid. It's like, well, I get this piece of paper. It's going to prove that I'm smart. And it just did absolutely nothing for me. It was so disappointing. And then the same thing with getting this book out a couple months ago, I'm like, well, then I will have respect for myself. And it didn't happen. And so I mean, it's like, I know that consciously that our value is not tied to these external things. And yet you just still fall into that trap. It's like, you don't even realize you're, you're doing it right. But you have this expectation like, oh, if I could be identified with my accomplishments, I'd feel great. But you're right. It's like, you always have to just be um, working on the next thing. It's like more yeah. of an active thing, not like a static thing. So and I, w- and I was so happy that you didn't have PhD on your, uh, on, on the, on the front of, you know, cause some authors will put, you know, John Graham PhD and like, <laughs> and I, and like, see, I have done this show since, uh, 2002 and then I stopped it for five years, but the people that I had on that had PhD on their books were always <laughs> awful. They were just rigid and awful. And I was just like, you know, at the minute someone pitched me a book and then said, you know, something, something PhD, I wouldn't even look at the title. I'd just be like, no. It's just like, no, if they have PhD at the oh, end, no. We need to talk about this. because Yes, yes. It's a thing that I would say like every marketing person I've worked with, every well-meaning friend is like, you have to lead with Dr. Worsham. I mean, like tell everyone you're a PhD. And then sometimes I put it in my marketing and um, uh, it does get a response, you know, like people will pay attention right. to you. And uh, I, I'm just not that 
comfortable with it. And I feel like you feel, so my whole thing in my head is that it's alienating. I don't want people to think I'm putting myself above them because really I just want people to pick up this book and relate to it. Right. Like, yeah. I, and, and so I have like all this, uh, all these hangups about being too intelligent, which is, it's really weird. And then everyone just kind of looks at me like, what, why would you worry about this? I'm like, I don't know. I, I think it's just because I do counseling work that I don't want anyone to think like I'm putting myself in a power position above them. Right. But I, I get all kinds of like, uh, I don't know, my, my friends just get frustrated with me. Like, well, you've accomplished so much. Why wouldn't you just put doctor and everything? But yeah, I, I have a, the same kind of reaction to it that you do. And I think it's hilarious that uh, you've had that experience of the people, yeah, just the over, oh, even <laughs> I used to cover uh, the books uh, for the Chronicle twice a month. I do a profile for many years, two profiles mm-hmm. a month. And um, I would even, even then I was just like, the minute it said PhD on it, oh my, or doctor, the, the back end of the interview and everything was just um totally uh laborious is that what you call it when you, yeah. the, the, i have to, i end up putting triple the work in mm. and it's just like i don't have time i just don't have time i'm not i'm not i'm not mad you got a degree i just yeah. if you're putting if you're put if that you're front loading with that i yeah. know you're going to take up more of my time and that's and i'm just all i'm trying to do is make a meager living as a stringer for the chronicle and you know and dj on friday and monday nights so i could get a few hundred bucks on the side <laughs> you know yeah like, I, I think people put too much into I, I think people project too much like power or intelligence into it yeah. where like a lot of people who have phds are really dumb emotionally and that's what i found oh interesting yeah. so that i dropped out after the first year because uh, two professors asked me out, you know, <laughs> just like, I, this place is a zoo. I don't want to be here. And they, they said, hello, my name is Dr. Blank and we should date. <laughs> you should go on a date. Level of emotional maturity there. I was just so disappointed because in my life I've had to heal from all this, you know, abuse and suicidal ideation. I've done all this personal work and I just wasn't finding that depth in that yeah. community. You know, so I, I think that's why I feel uncomfortable with it because someone might have a lot of soul or like, you know, um, practical knowledge and be really intelligent in that way. So I just don't get like what, cause you spent 10 years reading books about something that you are somehow above other folks. Yeah. And don't, and don't get me wrong. I would love to have a PhD and I have loved to have to done that work. I was, yeah. it's just when it's on the book. Or that's mm-hmm. when it's on the book cover. That's when I, I did, I've, I've interviewed people with PhDs that just don't put on the book cover and I yeah. know it's going to be fine <laughs> or it usually is. It's just when it, when they front load with it, then I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> I, I think I get what you're saying that um, it comes from a relational place. Like they want someone to actually, you know, relate to the book instead of, they just want to pontificate and have you be the, be the passive. Yeah. And they've been good. It's been good books. I was even thinking the other day about this guy that I wrote. He wrote about ayahuasca and all this stuff. And it was just, it was like so many hours of work with this guy. And he was complaining to my editor and my managing editor. And I had like all the tapes to the interviews. And I'm like, I'm an ethical journalist. It's like, here's yeah. everything. And finally they killed the article. They're like, do you want to kill the article? I'm like, yeah, I don't want my name anywhere near this guy. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I've spent 10, 10 times the amount of work on something that should be simple, but, and I'm like, and I, and I want to, you know, bring light to the ayahuasca community. I don't know what it is, but you know, and it's just like, they just had to be there and make it a bad experience. You know, that's so interesting. Let's talk about the occult again. I think you've had enough coffee. Did now. we, Oh my <laughs> God. Did we go too negative? I think we went too negative. You're right. I kind of had to think let's, my way. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's we'll take a deep breath in relax it out <laughs> we're there we're there so um i used a post-structural structuralist argument i can't even say it without um biffing it there but anyway um i think the reason we're so scared of the occult and it seems so scary is that culturally what the enlightenment was right we're still pretty mired in the enlightenment we all want to be rational beings the enlightenment defined itself against the occult 
So in order to say what it was, it had to say what it wasn't. And so the enlightenment said, we're not superstition. You know, we don't believe in astrology. We don't believe that comets are omens or whatever. So that was kind of that enlightenment moment was anti-occult. And then Christianity, so that, you know, we are clear what we're talking about with Christianity also defines itself as not the occult. I mean, that's a, a big thing that Christianity does, right? It's like, which is hilarious because there's a lot of paganism in Christianity. Totally, right. So to yeah. make it really clear <laughs> that right. this is the good road and the occult is the bad road, it's just that kind of straw man, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's why we have so much fear about the occult because both of these uh, paradigms that we're in still of being a Christian culture and being a rationalist culture, the occult represents everything that's taboo. Right. And so if you dabble with the occult, you might look like you're irrational or crazy. So that's scary to folks. And even people who don't really believe in the devil, that that's not a part of their, you know, normal way of thinking, oh, if it's tarot cards or it's, you know, ritual, then suddenly the devil is real to them. So I think it's just a lot of this is like the PR job on the occult because if you start getting into it, it's like any other religion, you know, it's just kind of a pastiche of techniques and belief systems that have traveled through time. And so I kind of approached it from a comparative religion standpoint. Mm-hmm. And so it ceases to be scary to me. So the, the same way that, I mean, you know, in uh, Christianity, there's all kinds of villains in Christianity, people who have done horrible things. I mean, there's evil popes, right? <laughs> like there's just all kinds of bad stuff. But that's not our primary association with Christianity. We wouldn't, you know, just define it through all the bad people. Right. At, so it's, it's very similar to me with the occult. I mean, there's just fascinating practitioners through time. Maybe one or two percent are really evil and take it to a dark place. But I, I think of it as just an alternative. Um, yeah. So And it's, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's, um, oh, I had a thought, but you were so glorious in how you just explained it right there. I think that <laughs> my thought went away, but yeah, it's, the, it's yeah. the good and bad of everything. And even when we were talking about Ouija boards and the possibility of bringing in the wrong entities, it's like, you know what, that's kind of life too. We bring in the wrong friends sometimes, or we'll bring in the wrong people and they could really shake up our existence. And then we have to like, kind of push them back. So yeah. not even in these spiritual entities, but also in these physical body entities, there could be major problems that we have to move away from. Yeah, I, I think the best occult teachers make a lot of parables about um, like real life, like you've just done and the occult. So I'm thinking of Jason Miller, who he does this all the time. Like if you're trying to, uh, he's got a new book about consorting with spirits, right? And it's just a lot about working socially with spirits the same way that you would with a group of friends. It's like, well, how do I introduce myself to this person? You know, if it's a new relationship, you don't want to ask for much, too much all at once, you know? Oh my God, that would make so much sense. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, you develop a relationship and, and that's, it maps on pretty well to uh, working with spirits or demons. Some people do that, but you know, it's never been my bag, so. <laughs> well, I'm really excited. I really love how this book and tarot deck is put together. And um, I was really impressed with just how much knowledge there is in the book with the tarot deck. It's just so cool. So yeah, it's it's not a normal tarot deck in that way. So it's edutainment. And, uh, you know, I should say I I am a student of tarot. So it's Mm -hmm. tarot-y in the sense that it kind of matches up to those traditional archetypes. Uh, But I also put a whole literary history in here as well. So you'll get that. And it's, and that excites me to no end. Wait, literary and tarot makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of that time machine thing. Yeah. Um, just because what I've noticed on the left, you know, I'm a, a lefty over here politically, but th- there's just a lot of hatred generated toward America. And I think yeah. we, we look back on this time and just say like, well, everyone was a racist or everyone was a fundamentalist Christian. And there's actually just so much wonderful, weird stuff that we can discover through these writers, you know, so Emerson, for example, and transcendentalism, and there were all these interesting kind of spiritual alternatives and experimental viewpoints going on at that time. So I think it just, to me, it just is a way to identify with our history as Americans. That's not all shameful. I think that's kind of the moment we're in now that we're, we're pretty horrified 
by the sins of the past. So it's it's sort of like, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are some legitimate horrors in our history, but there's also a lot of inspiring stuff that, that we just don't know about. We're just not in touch with today. We can find it in books and in tarot. Fia, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I put a spell on you. Because you're mine. on Drinks with Tony, check out The American Renaissance Tarot. Next week on the show, we have Kate Koja. She's the author of Dark Factory. Keep listening, keep reading, keep writing, keep the stories alive so we can time travel to destinations. Have a great week. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.
Spinning wildly through the storm 